0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, why no one really knows anything about stocks and how big tobacco is finally turning its sights to marijuana. But first, the state of post-Kavanaugh politics. It's been six days since Senator Susan Collins decided that Judge Brett Kavanaugh would become Justice Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court after weeks of intense arguments over allegations of sexual assault that eventually devolved into depressingly predictable partisan sniping. So if you believe Dr. Ford, I totally get it. And if you believe Kavanaugh more, I get that too. If you found them both credible, so didn't know what to think and decided it was better to err on one side or the other, entirely defensible. The thing I couldn't understand though, and I keep thinking about, were those, including Collins and Joe Manchin, who said they believed Ford when she said she was assaulted, but that it had to be by someone else. It's this weird cowardly middle ground. His identity was literally the only thing Ford said she was 100% sure about. So if you believed her, then any sort of consistent mind would have to believe that too. Again, I'm not saying who was telling the truth. I'm saying that the post-vote narrative by certain senators was entirely disingenuous. But, either way, here we are. Less than a month from the midterms with both bases fired up. And since the Kavanaugh vote, we've gotten another strong jobs report, the resignation of U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, and a massive hurricane in Florida, which happens to be home to one of the nation's tightest Senate races. Lots and lots of moving pieces. So in 15 seconds, we'll try to get some political clarity, with Axios CEO Jim Bandeheye. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter, faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios CEO Jim VandeHei. And Jim, after the Kavanaugh vote last Saturday, the conventional wisdom seemed to be that, you know, this was the precipitating event that got the right wing that got Trump's base fired up after kind of being a little bit lethargic in terms of the midterms. Do you agree with that? Is is that a fair assessment of where we're at right now?
1: I think it got both bases fired up, and both bases were sort of on a trend of being fired up to begin with. I mean, Democrats clearly have a lot more enthusiasm, seem more motivated, but Republicans had already been moving in that direction. Because remember, pre-Kavanaugh, Trump had already started to hit all of these different swing states and really made the campaign about him, really changed his tone from, ah, it's fake news that we're going to lose the house to, hey, we could lose the house and this election's about me. And so I think the combination of him changing his tone... Toon and Kavanaugh has conservatives fired up, which obviously helps him in the Senate races, there's no doubt post-Kavanaugh, during Kavanaugh, that in the Senate, Republicans look a lot better today than they did two weeks ago. If you look at North Dakota, you look at Missouri, look at Tennessee, look at Texas, all of those states emphatically looking much better for Republicans than they did before.
0: It's all kind of a month prior to the midterms. And in this political cycle, in this news cycle, a month is like a year or five years used to be. Is it going to be, from your perspective, really not remembered, but is it going to still be a motivating factor for anybody in a month? Or is that going to be superseded by whatever comes next? that we don't know about yet.
1: Most likely. I mean, everyone, I think the whole world has a short attention span these days. So I assume Kavanaugh specifically fades as a topic. But it really has, I think, once again, exacerbated this us versus them. And I think Trump is hitting this hard. The other day, Trump said there could be as many as four more openings while I'm president. And so I think he's trying to take it and make it bigger than just Kavanaugh. And he's trying to make it a a look what they tried to do to our guy. Look what uh, liberals try to do to conservatism. Look at how they continue to sneer at you and really sort of play to that base instinct on both sides. So I think it'll continue to, to, to be there. It'll be uh, you know one of the many things in the atmosphere, but something crazy will happen between now and election day that'll be a much bigger deal.
0: You know, Obviously, every race, uh, either at the Senate level or, or at the more local House level, is, is individual, and it's about the individual candidates and the demographics of the district. Is there any race on either side that you're watching, particularly as some sort of barometer of something bigger?
1: Two races that I'm pretty fascinated in are actually the gubernatorial races in Georgia and in Florida, because I think in both of those states, in Georgia and Florida, you had Republicans who were sort of Trump Republicans who were pretty obscure and were trailing in the polls and got Trump's blessing and instantly became the front runner and won pretty easily over candidates that the establishment would have preferred. And on the other side, you have African-American liberals who were able to win in those states. I think that could be a preview of what you're gonna see in 2020. It really captures, I think, where the passion is in both parties and what the model might be in both parties. So seeing what those outcomes, can a liberal minority candidate win in Georgia? I mean, Georgia's a pretty conservative state. One that, because of an increasing Hispanic population, is little by little becoming more of a swing state. It's probably the next Virginia, a state that used to be conservative, that becomes a toss up state, that then becomes probably a leans Democrat state. I think that'll happen over the next six to 10 years in Georgia. So those are two states to watch in terms of what could happen in 2020.
0: Jim, what do you make of Nikki Haley's resignation? And I guess I ask in the context of that there is a call it the Twitterati that continue to expect this means either at some point she's going to run for Senate in South Carolina if Lindsey Graham ends up in the cabinet. There's folks on the left who claim she's going to try to primary Trump. Where do you see her doing next?
1: Yeah, I think there's been a lot of stupid punditry around her. That's what Twitter's for. That's what Twitter is for, unfortunately. I think it's pretty clear from talking to people around her, she wants to run for president. She's not going to challenge Donald Trump. She assumes Trump will run again in 2020. So I think she's trying to set the path for her to be able to run in 2024 as a type of conservative who can heal the party, who didn't alienate Trump, but is still more of a conventional conservative. And I think this is what this is all about. I don't think the timing was a coincidence. I think the fact that she left kind of surprised people in leaving right after Kavanaugh was not a mistake. I think it's something she'll point to in the future to say that while she was a loyal Trump supporter, a loyal cabinet member, that there were times where she broke with him and was not comfortable with where things were going within the Republican Party. I think we can always change the script in retrospect, and I think you'll see a little bit of that from her. But the idea that she's going to challenge Trump, like nobody can challenge Trump in this atmosphere unless Trump really were to stumble. He's 80% popularity favorables among Republicans. That really hasn't dissipated.
0: If the Democrats do take the House, is there any reason to believe that the challenge to Pelosi for the speakership would be successful?
1: I don't think that's the case. You have to think about if they win. If Democrats win, they win because they had a record number of women run, a record number of women vote, a record number of women elected into the House, and then that group of people is going to somehow deny Nancy Pelosi, a woman from being Speaker of the House, to probably elect a white man to be the leader of the House and the leader of the Democratic Party? I find that really, really hard to believe. And by the way, the other thing, once you get into impeachment, once you get into investigations, the machinery of government gets complicated. You have to be able to understand sort of the limits and strengths of subpoena power. You have to understand the overlapping jurisdictions of Congress congressional committees. Pelosi's done that. She's been in the trenches. She actually knows how to manage that. Probably her greatest political strength. She's kind of ruthless. And like it's nonsense when Democrats say, oh, we don't know if we'll impeach the president. If they win the majority, they're going to impeach Trump. It's nonsense. There's going to be so much pressure from the liberal base. There's going to be so much that Comey will have that any Democrat who wants to cling to something will cling to it. And so you're going to need somebody who's a strong, tough as nails leader. And my guess is they'll go with Pelosi.
0: Finally, Jim, it seems President Trump had one huge summit earlier this year with Kim Jong-un, and he's obviously having his second most important summit ever today with Kanye West. So just quickly, more consequential uh, summit with Kim Jong-un or with Kanye
1: I'm going to go with uh, with the wild guy in uh, North Korea. Largely because I think Korea, like, we joke about Kanye coming. Uh, it's a sideshow. Uh, Trump loves sideshows. The Korea stuff's a big deal. Like We keep averting our gaze. But at some point, we're either going to get a deal with the Koreans or we're not. And if we don't get a deal with the Koreans, the facts on the ground have not changed. You still have a madman running a country, an authoritarian-run country that's going to have a nuclear weapon that can sit on a missile that can hit our shores. And the NSC, the Defense Department, Trump himself, have said they're never going to allow that to happen. So if this love affair that the president has had with Kim Jong-un fades or breaks up, you're back to where we were a year ago, where you're on the brink of what could be a really, really tense nuclear standoff, and one with uh, catastrophic consequences.
0: On that happy note, thank you, Jim. My final two right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios am takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter subscribe at signup.axios.com and now back to the pro rata podcast Now it's time for my final two. And first up is yesterday's wild ride in the stock market, with the Dow dropping more than 800 points and the Nasdaq beginning to near correction territory. It was the worst loss since back in February, and blame is all over the place. Some say worries about tariffs caused it. Others say it was worries over weaker earnings guidance or about tech being generally overvalued. President Trump kind of said it was the Fed's fault because it was, quote, crazy for raising interest rates a little bit. But here's the reality. We don't really have a clue why stock markets go up or down on a given day, outside of some major external event like a terrorist attack or new legislation. And we didn't have anything like that yesterday. So if you hear someone start to explain why Wednesday was so rough, stop listening to them. Finally, the Globe and Mail newspaper in Toronto reports that the Virginia maker of Marlboro cigarettes is in talks to buy a Canadian cannabis company called Afria. Why it matters is this could be Big Tobacco's first major push into cannabis, which it's largely avoided so far, and could also be a way for these companies to reverse decades of decline in North American markets as fewer and fewer people have smoked cigarettes. It also could create bidding wars with big beverage companies, particularly beer and spirits makers that also want in. For example, the owner of Corona recently made a huge cannabis investment, and there's been talk that Coca-Cola is thinking about something similar. High times indeed. And we're done big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great national sausage pizza day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.